Welcome to Disjointed. Our podcast mission is to bring a voice to the problems facing decision-making in the built environment. Today, communication and processes are disjointed in the world of design and construction. Work happens across tools, teams, and timelines, making it hard to keep everyone connected. It's a constant challenge to reduce friction and meet project expectations. We believe there's a better way. Well, welcome to our first bonus episode. If you're tuning in, you've tuned in to hear about the anatomy of decision-making in the built environment. And I'm joined by Kurt Newbeck. Kurt, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure, Jeff. Thanks so much for the invitation. Uh, Well, we were excited. Uh, After we got a chance to connect, I knew we had to do this. So tell everybody a little bit about yourself, Kurt. Give them a little background on you before we dive into this awesome topic. Great. Uh, Again, Kurt Newbeck, I'm an architect. I'm a principal and a firm-wide healthcare practice leader and lean advocate at Page. Some of you may know us as Page, Sutherland Page, national AE firm, top 10 rated AE firm in the country. Uh, And and I've been working as an architect. Uh, I started early in my career focusing on consulting and working closely with clients and helping them make programming, master planning, essentially pre-designed decisions. So I got to spend a lot of time with owners and learn so much from them. And there's so many organizations, when you make a decision, you have to make a presentation to a subcommittee and then they coach you on what, what to say when you go to the next committee. And they said, so I learned so much about how people make decisions. And then uh, I've been with Paige for 27 years now, great organization. And through doing that pre-design work, I also did a whole lot of healthcare. So uh, then over the years, I became one of our uh, firm-wide healthcare specialists. And now I'm the firm-wide healthcare practice leader. So I work with all of our offices, work where we don't have offices, do a lot of travel. I was in France a few weeks ago. And uh, so get around. Well, and and what what drew us to this was that you wrote a blog recently that really triggered us over here at Join and Disjointed to to have this conversation. And uh, you talked about the, the psychology of decisions and decision-making styles to support new modern delivery methods in the built environment. Break that down a little bit for us. I'm going to let you riff from here because, man, is it? I think it's important for us to understand that the baseline to what we're doing in the industry is getting decisions made and moving things forward. Yep. Yeah, well said. So the way where this whole getting decisions at stick came about or came from is I speak at a lot of conferences and one year I was thinking about all right, what, what do people really need to know? And I just got thinking about what are all the projects that when things go well, what what caused them to go well? And when things didn't go well, what what was the trigger there? And I'm also I'm a certified in lean, trained in lean and a Six Sigma black belt. And and I'm an instructor for Lean Construction Institute and Construction Owners Associates of America. And I so I do a lot of also presenting and teaching. So I just got thinking about based on 30 some years of experience. When I look back at what really what were the root causes of of those things that you know when it worked well or didn't work well, and having run a lot of meetings with people where we asked that at the beginning, at the very beginning of a project, owner when when projects go well, what did the architects and the contractors do, and then we asked the, the contractors, <laughs> what did the owners and the, and the architects do, etc., and got everybody to talk about uh, what works well, what do you need from the rest of us, those kinds of things. So all of that led to one day I said, you know. I, 
the thing I see over and over is one of the biggest problems, you can have a crack team doing everything right, really well organized, but if you don't get decisions at the stick, the thing can, the project can still flounder. And the more I dug into this, the more I realized a big, big part of that is that the project teams don't understand what kind of information people need to make an informed decision, to get a decision that will stick. And generally you think of owners, decisions don't stick, but it's true for all of us, for everyone on a whole project team, that we all make decisions. And what, and sometimes if, in the core of this is, if you don't have all the information that you need, then you're going to go astray. Now, to get back to your specific question about the, about the psychology and things like that, uh, you know, many people know about uh, the way we make decisions, the way we learn, uh, the learning styles, about uh, visual, auditory, kinesthetic, things like that. So one of the things I've seen over and over again, you might have, let's say, an engineer who, went for them to make a decision, they run all these numbers and they come up with a little table and say the bottom line, therefore, this one is the best answer. Well, that may be exactly what they need and other people who think like them need to make an informed decision. But that's not what everyone needs. Some people are, again, much more visual, and some people are more auditory, and, and the kinesthetic, the, the, the experiential is so important. So one of the key ahas there is if you want to help, you know, so first of all, why is learning important? Well, if you want someone to make a decision almost always, uh, at least uh, certainly in a project setting, incidentally, everything we're talking about here talk, uh, applies to decisions of all kinds. Decisions. If you're trying to decide, should I move? Should I move to another city and take that job? Should I propose to this person? <laughs> yeah. Well, that, but that's that's a that's a little piece here that I, I want to communicate to folks is that like construction likes to be a snowflake, built environment, owners, everybody likes to be a little bit of a snowflake. It's like, well, consequently, you're actually not that much of a snowflake. Like this can be applied to many different situations, and I think. What I heard you say earlier that I wanted to, to bring you back to a little bit is like, it's not just about the group itself and and the group, let's be honest. I just ran a whole season and talked to everybody across it. There is a number of different groups involved, but each of those groups has groups. So that's where some of this confusion becomes important. That's why the fundamentals of a decision that you're talking about are so important. And it's why, hey, listen, apply this, it, good good training, right? This is, you know, repetitive training. So apply this to what bread you pick today. If you do propose who the next, you know, girlfriend is, whatever it might be, boyfriend, whatever it is, apply good decision-making tactics and you're going to train that muscle. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Uh, so, so the key is understanding that some, oh, so why is learning important? Yeah. Well, in almost all situations, a, a team is going to re go research something and they're going to come back and make a presentation to someone to make a decision. That's normally, at least in the context of projects, that's how decisions get made. Someone brings you that information. Because uh, otherwise, it's not really a decision. I mean, if, the, if someone just come in and said, do these things... It's not really well. They they already made the decision, but uh, so the, the recognizing that when a team brings information to someone, we normally think of the owner, but everyone on the team makes decisions along the way. So, what information do they need to make the decision? So, 
the, the fact that you're going to research this and you're going to present it to someone, that's where the learning has to happen. They have to come up to speed. They have to learn all this research that you just did in a very short amount of time. And if you present it in a way that they don't really understand, if you present it in a language that they don't use, then they're not going to be able to make an informed decision. They'll make the best decision they can. That's one of the other ahas. When you ask someone for a decision, so often I hear and see teams say, well, we, we, we asked them and this is the direction they, they gave. And so we have to do it that way. And I said, no, no, no. I mean, I understand, I respect that you, that what you just, what you think is a decision you want to act on it. But no, I, I don't think that was an informed decision. If we tell them the whole story, like don't bank, don't bet the farm on that decision. Right. Cause you're, you're really talking about the learning process. And, and I think there's a bias in this that people don't understand because as you described it, they've gone out and done the research. They believe they've come to the right conclusion, but it's coming through their own lens. It's coming yes. through the series of things that they care about. And they now need the owner or another team member. So if you're talking about a trade, like we talk to trade partners, they're coming and talking to general contractors. The general contractor needs to digest, understand, and make a decision. And if you skip the learning part, is that what you're, I'm hearing? Is that how they get to that spot where they're just, hey, wait, 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 wait. No, you, you think you made an informed decision. You didn't. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's a that that's one of the traps that people fall into, but it's not the only one. There's another one is the decision making styles, because some some individuals as well as some teams are very uh, what's called autocratic, uh, meaning that you ask them and they'll make the decision. You know, I'm the CEO and I'm a decision maker and and and, and that's sometimes and sometimes people think that's great. It certainly shortens and simplifies the decision-making process as long as that person is willing to make informed decisions. If they make decisions just off the cuff based on what they know, sometimes it, it doesn't really help. Now, there are others that I'm go going over for. First was autocratic. Second is consulting. Some people will say, well, I, I don't know, but I will consult someone or let's bring in a consultant to do that. They'll make a recommendation, but then I still make the decision. That's the second. The third is a group process. And uh, and that's where people say, well, let's get a bunch of people together and and make this decision and talk about it. And, and that certainly has a, an important place for certain kinds of decisions. And the fourth is one that's delegated, which sounds similar, but it's when you have to recognize that you might be thinking this is the decision maker. But if they're going to delegate that decision to someone else, then you have to recognize, no, they're actually not the decision maker and make sure you're crafting the message to the information that the real decision maker needs. Now, none of these is bad or good. It depends. It's all context sensitive. I mean, if if I'm in a setting and someone falls down with a heart attack and I run over and say, okay, I know CPR. Does anyone else know CPR? And I'll say, you, call 911. You, go find an AED. You, find some uh, some aspirin. And, and, then, uh, and then I start doing CPR. That's great. That's what you you want an autocratic decision maker who someone knows what to do in the moment. Go. Uh, well, you don't. That's not the right time to say, all right. Uh oh, this person fell down. Let's come over here. You guys do a quality circle. Let's do breakout teams. Get some flip charts and brainstorm. What's the best thing we should do for this person who just collapsed? So, so again, depending on the context, no one of these is better than another. Sometimes people think, oh no, we have to do group process. Not always. 
There are lots of, the, very often a group does evaluation and a recommendation, but, but then someone else actually makes the decision. So, okay. and, and organizations can have styles too. I have some clients that are very autocratic. They say, don't talk to the users because they've only worked in a few different projects and we've done a hundred of these, we've fine-tuned this, we set the standards. And other clients are very, very much group process. They want to involve the team. They're very collaborative. They, they want the people who are going to move into the building to have had a say in how it's shaped. So that's, that's corporate culture. Yeah, and we've heard that quite a bit, especially across the seasons as, as we've talked about you know target value delivery and lean process. And what I heard early on was like, that's the part where when you come together as a group, before you really even discuss the building perspectives or the architecture or anything, you kind of get an understanding of the culture of the company that you're working with. But I love that you said, great you know, kind of the arch. So, okay, we've, we're, we're in an autocratic situation. So mostly it's going to be that way. Hey, we're in a collaborative decision-making, so it's going to mainly be that way, but be ready for those situations where it's going to veer off and, and adjust your mindset to it. Absolutely. In fact, that's one of the recommendations in later kind of in the detail about one of the tools or techniques or tactics you can use to help this is develop from the very beginning a responsibility matrix or decision-making matrix uh, that says for all, all the different categories of decisions that we're going to make, who who gets to weigh in on it, who actually, and there are various acronyms. You may have heard LACTI and RASIC and things like that, who's responsible, who is authority, who consults, things like that. Uh, and But have that conversation because what normally happens is, uh, oh, just to use an example, in, in, a, in a, let's say, a spec office building, the, the landlord, the developer, the o- building owner get to decide on the exterior and the, the, the public areas, and the tenants get to decide what goes inside their suite. Now, you might ask them, what are you doing, or do you have any special needs that we might need to know about, but very rarely does the tenant, unless they're the primary tenant, get to say, we want gold fixtures in the public bathrooms. You know, so, so there, you know, there are areas where it's probably, it's most of those, some of those are really clear, but very often they're not really clear. And if you just identify what's the process going to be ahead of time, people love that. They want to know, tell me when you need me involved <laughs> and, and, I, and I'll be there for that. But yeah. also don't waste my time. Don't invite me to a standing meeting every week if you really only need me to make this decision. Oh, it's so fundamental to the problem itself and the problems that we experience across the the continuum in in modern delivery methods because you know I used to believe in this way that you know there was the idea of having everybody at the table, right? And I'm like that is the busiest kitchen table on the planet and it's like Thanksgiving dinner and we're not going to get anywhere. So what you're talking about is creating a responsibility matrix or you know using some of those things so that people are engaged when they need to be engaged and they get to give their 100% and walk away versus this let's walk in and I don't know when I'm going to have to to say something this ambiguity um I know in the earliest episode with Sala from Microsoft she talked about that she's like I want my groups to go get those experts when we need them, give us the opportunities, the options, exactly what you're talking about, and let us make an informed decision. And then those people go off and do their thing. There's a lot of people involved in this too, 
Think about the waste. You're a lean practitioner. If we can cut ourselves out of a lot of meetings, but no, and I think this is critical to me that I heard there is, is to also understand as a team member, I am going to be included when I'm needed. And I think that's where a lot of people in the process, they've just been, they've spent their whole lives banging on the doors. I'm talking about my trade contractors, right? They've been banging on the door to be included. And this gives them the opportunity to go, okay, I'm comfortable with this project. They'll, they'll talk to me when they need me. And I think you'll get to this, but I mean, they need an understanding and a, and a faith and a confidence that that decision is going to stick. I mean, you hit that in the blog over and over and, and, and you've already said it here twice is decisions have to stick. And what other things can they do? I mean, you're really rolling on what you can do. So it's inclusion and it's surfacing those things and, and giving trust to everybody so they understand it. What else can they do? Well, one of the next things to realize, it kind of builds on what we were talking about, that first point, but it's slightly different. Many people have taken personality tests, whether it's Myers-Briggs or Clifton Strengths or one of those uh, DISC, things like that. And I'll, I'll use the example of Myers-Briggs just because they have, many people know that's the 16, you know, four by four matrix. Uh, and of the four, uh, some of the, the four dimensions that they use, one of them is specifically about how do we make decisions? Are you, and it's a spectrum. So one end is very thinking, what they call thinking, the T, uh, is, and those are people that tend to be very analytical, logical. And then the other expect end of the spectrum is the F. Those are the feeling. Those are the people who are more, they, they're more, it's more important to them to have harmony and be tactful and build trust and things like that. And again, it's a spectrum. Some of us are in the middle. Some of us are two thirds of the way. Uh, and I think some of us are, there's a term like, uh, like ambivert, uh, where you can kind of, I think you can, when you, the more you get sensitive to it, I think you can kind of swing and, and put yourself in that mindset. What do these people need? And that's a big part of this. Uh, but the example I like to use on this is, because uh, um, it's just, people hate this example. It's got kind of stabs at your heart. Uh, if you're ever in a company where you have to let somebody go, oh, it's horrible. If you have to, if you have to weigh in on, all right, we can't, you know, we have to let somebody go. The economy is bad. It's 2008 or whatever. Uh, we have to let somebody go. Well, those, those thinking people, they're going to have their spreadsheets and they're going to look at who had the, the best uh, whatever tactical things. And they're going to have a spreadsheet and say, here's the list of people you should do. And therefore, you know, we think this is the person that needs to go. And meanwhile, the people at the other end of the spectrum will say, well, you can't let that person go. They just had a baby. And the thinking people say, that's not even a factor. And the other people will say, no, that's the most important factor right now. <laughs> and so it just, I, I like that example because it so typifies how we don't think of, you know, thinking and feeling as being extreme, but there's a case where some people can say, you know, you can lead to really harsh words if, you, if you're not empathetic, if you don't understand the other person's perspective. And, and so that, so I, what I tell is, you know, I tell engineers, again, if you're presenting to decision makers where some of them are more feeling, make sure you don't just stick to the way you make decisions. And similarly, if I'm talking to, let's say, nurses who are very thinking, feeling and patient, patient centric, if they're presenting to the board, or the CEO or, you know, asking for capital funding, they have to put their requirement in terms of numbers and things that some of those people need. 
So it's just about making sure you can communicate to, to the people in the language that they need. I think it's awesome. And and I love that you brought up empathy. It's come up quite a bit across the the theme of the show is, is being empathetic to one another. It, it really creates a, a, a cohesion that you need. But I also challenge, it's funny because I'm a, I, I kid, but I, 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 work with James Benham a lot and, and, you know, he's a facts, not feelings guy. And I always laugh because I'm a full on feelings guy, but just like you said, over the years, I've learned those are probably not as greatly guided. They need a little facts. And then it brings me to, to more in the middle. So I agree with you on the elasticity, especially given our experiences in making those decisions. And, and, you know, we can make ourselves better decision makers. The other thing I would challenge here and at Nobody, I hope nobody's ever challenged you on this one before, but in that same respect where you said, you know, we have to look at our team, we have to let somebody go. Those are really hard decisions. Um, I feel like I listened to Malcolm Gladwell talk about also understanding, are you a basketball team versus a soccer team, right? A basketball team can take three great players and go all the way to the finals. A soccer team can actually would, is better off keeping more so-so players and getting rid of that top player because it's not as impactful. So you have to think like, Hey, engineer, what's the makeup of the team here? And how's that going to impact? Do we need in this decision where, Hey, we can, we can, we have this much to spend. Do we go after the most expensive best of this or are we better suited to spread that a little larger and make sure our lowest common denominator is higher? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, no, it's, I don't think take that as a challenge at all. I'm, I'm with you on that. Because, uh, in fact, Toyota would say you don't let people go. <laughs> if sure. there's a slowdown, you find a way to use them to help improve so you're more profitable. Uh, but, you know, it's just, a, it's just an example that I think typifies how in a, the extremities, the extremities. Yeah, to your own point. You're, you're connecting with people who are listening to that, who've had to go through it. And, you know, it's, it's a very different situation. And I, and I agree with you in the lean mentality and the Toyota mentality would be, Hey, how can we be more efficient, put more things out, put them to better work so that when the economy comes back, we're better. But the example I think to the listeners wouldn't be as good without it. So I appreciate that example. So I want to grab before you jump onto anything else, there's something stood out to me in this, like, if I'm listening in right now and I'm a listener, what are some of the symptoms I might be looking for that I have a problem? You know, it's like, sometimes I don't know I'm sick. How do I know I'm sick? What are some of the symptoms of bad decision-making or bad process around decision-making in general? Yeah. Well, the, the, the most obvious one is, do, do the, are the decisions that you're getting made, do, or do they stick? Because <laughs> if they're changing... Then, then that's the most obvious one, and that, and that may take time to know that. But I think maybe more to your to your question is: Are we being inclusive again? Th- thinking of those learning styles, the decision making styles, respecting the culture of the people who need to make this, and and asking ourselves: But not only what information do I need to make a decision, but what information will they need, or what might they need? And the good thing is, if you understand visual, auditory, and kinesthetic. You just be inclusive. Just do all those things. In fact, uh, I was a Boy Scout leader for many years, and they have a technique that they use when they're teaching scouts anything, whether you're teaching them tie- simple things like not tying or teaching leadership skills. They have something they call the EDGE method, E-D-G-E, explain, demonstrate, guide, enable. And and they found it, it's very effective. And I don't think it's a coincidence that explain is visual, I mean, is auditory, uh, demonstrate is visual, uh, 
guide is they do it themselves. So that's the kinesthetic. That's the that's the experiential. And then they also add the uh, the last one, which is go teach someone else how to do it. And I think we all know that you really learn something when you have to teach someone else. That that is a great one from um, you know I, I forget which podcast it was, and it may have been a uh, an Adam Grant. But he said, you know, it's it's great when you ask people in the room, are you an expert on something? A lot of them will raise their hand. And he's like, the number one way to, to find out is, is ask them to go teach somebody that. Can you teach or call on them and say, OK, so teach me that. And then all of a sudden you realize all the holes in what you know, right? Yeah, that's a great question. It's a it's a good way to get them to, to do it. And I think that that teaching also. Man, every one of us could use to walk a mile in somebody else's shoes and really feel their pain, feel their perspective, have empathy for where they are. So what else goes into to, you know, really making a transformation if you're if if our folks are focusing on getting better? Um, you've now given them a bunch of tools, you know, the different pieces. What else do we do? So then the next question is what information do they need to make a decision? And so some of the specifics are we already kind of touched on, you want to make sure you're speaking it in their language and whatever that is. Uh, as uh, Obviously, if you're presenting to, to a finance committee, you've got to be talking finance. You can't just say it's going to be pretty or it's going to be better. Uh, you know, you have to put it in ROI or return on capital or something that is valuable to them. But then similarly, if you're presenting to a committee where maybe it is a design decision, then you can't just say, well, this this uh, material has a lower has a longer life cycle uh, or lower life cycle cost. But without talking about all the other qualitative aspects of it and showing them pictures and images because they understanding what it's going to feel like or look like is, is certainly more important uh, for certain kinds of decisions. So speaking their language. Uh, then also, I think we need to uh, people really need to understand, again, if you empathize with that, we're presenting most of the time to lay people. Sometimes we I mean, many facilities people are. Uh, the, again, owners, uh, particularly on the owner side, many of them are, are architects, engineers, contractors, and they can read plans and such. But it, uh, the more we assume that people don't can't read plans, the better communicated we will be. I have an example when I do the, the slideshow, the presentation where I show a, a CT scan and I say, OK, everybody see the CT scan? What do you want to do? And you're staring at the CTs like, I don't know, you know, you're just looking at it, it looks like an x-ray to me, I don't know, what do I do? And then I point out, well, that's the liver, those are kidneys, this is cancer, this big blob here is cancer. Now, we lay people can't, can't possibly see it, but then once I point it out, it's larger than life. It's like, oh, that's not supposed to be there, that's really bad. Well, and I tell people, we the more we recognize that's the way uh, users feel when we show roll off floor plans and ask them to to approve a floor plan like it's like looking at an x-ray to to the rest of us and they're going to do their best to nod and follow along but they don't really understand it so we have to be be ready to pre to present things in ways that they will understand and that goes there are certain things you can do in in 2d drawing and talk about adjacencies or flow diagrams and things like that but when you start talking about 3d solutions 
almost always you get, it's so much more valuable to talk about things in 3D mockups or at least 3D walkthroughs in a computer or or go visit similar facilities so they can walk around and learn things. Uh, there's so many ways we can better communicate uh, a 3D ex and frankly a 4D experience because we'll do say in a hospital a 3D mockup and then we'll walk through and say yeah this is good let's move this gases over a little bit. But then if you have a team, uh, the clinical team, come in and do a simulation, then they realize uh, things that are unscripted or they actually they script them closely, these clinical simulations where the, essentially most of the actors don't know the rest of the script. They tell them, here's the deal. You're going to take, take this patient in and do something. And then they literally like throw the switch and put that mannequin into and a heart, uh, you know, a heart attack and things like that, or, or blood pressure shoots up or whatever. And what are you going to do? And then they panic, not panic, but, you know, they start acting as quickly as they can. And then they start realizing, oh, I really need that thing here on the wall. Or how are we going to get that in? So those simulations really help you understand, because that's what I mean by the 4D, the time period using a 3D space is really how we use facilities. So the more we can test them and design them in those situations, the better. And leverage all the learning different ways. I mean, in one of my earliest miniseries episodes, I think it was actually the second one out was Hamza Shambari said, we all speak different languages and you're talking about facilities and, and consumers of it. You know, architects speak different than engineers, speak different than owners, speak different than general and trade contractors. Some people are uniformat, master format. Some people speak building, phase. Some people don't know what any of that means. And sometimes when you're talking about the group consistency that it would take to build a hospital or build a K through 12, you're talking about people who are super smart, but they have a different day job. And that's what they're smart in. I love the CT scan because if you put, and I, this is what I love about the built environment. If you put 2D plans in front of me, I'll nod my head and smile a lot, but I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, I cannot yeah. see it. That's why, you know, 3D rendering and Revit and other, other modeling was such an impactful thing for me because then I could begin to experience it. And then just like you said, putting it in 4D and understanding the time and the reach and, you know, that's taking a facility and dialing it in in a way that, you know, it's taking advantage of all those things. You've created a process. Now you've taken technology and amplified that process to provide more of that, that understanding. But I really like it. The finance to finance, you know, when you're sitting down with a K through 12 group and you're talking about a campus, we'll talk about the different buildings. You know, break it down that way. Break it down by the floors. Break it down by, you know, hey, look, you said it before, clear, concise understanding of these are public and these are private makes everybody understand. Like, clear understanding of here's where we're flexible and here's where we're not is key. But then being able to translate that impact to somebody so, just like you said, you're halfway through, you've built one of these rooms or two of these rooms and somebody walks in to check it out. That's a heck of a time to find out that things aren't where they're supposed to be. I mean, that's that's the pain of decision making when we really get down to it, you know, other than some other, you know, taking time to make those decisions. It's when we have to rework. It's when we have to go back or, or somebody that experiences it just. 30 years of experiencing that, man, that would have been really good if we knew that. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
Well, speaking of that, what I do an exercise when I do this live with people, and we could do it live here with the, with your audience, is uh, we're, I'll ask a series of questions. Let's assume we're going to have we're get, we get you each get to order your own lunch, and let's say you have three options. First one is going to be a club sandwich, second is a burger, shake, and fries, and the third is a salad with salmon. Okay, we ask people pick just just pick in your own head A, B, or C. You want the club sandwich, burger, shake, and fries or the salad with, with salmon. And then I, when I'm doing this live, we do it with, with live polling. So you can see the graphs come up on the screen. Uh, we can see what the audience is doing. And then I say, great, okay. Now we get that ordered and we'll get that going. And I say, oh, by the way, and maybe this is a week later in, you know, in a weekly meeting or something like that. Here's the cost of those. The first sandwich, the club sandwich is free. That was included in this. The, the burger shake and fries, that's $11. And the salad with salmon is $22. Now, some of you just said, ooh, <laughs> can I change my vote? So, yeah, go ahead, change. We'll vote again. Now, you have some new information about the cost. Some of you, that made a big difference. Now, so we'll do a poll again, and you all get to vote again, A, B, C. Pick one in your mind. Now, you know, free $11 and $22. So the next time, then I say, all right, now, the first one is not only free, but it's available right now. The burger, shake, and fries takes 10 minutes. The salad, because of the salmon eggs, takes 25 minutes, and you only have a half an hour for lunch. Does that affect your decision? So it turns out, again, for some of you, some of you are like, no, I'm golden. This is I made the right decision. It's still working for me. Others uh, say, oh, yeah, okay. It turns out the time affects my decision. And then I say, all right. So now there we go. Scope, schedule, and budget. That's all you need, right? Maybe not. Because what if I tell you some other qualitative things that might also be important to you? So let's say the reason the club of sandwiches are free and available now is that they're left over from yesterday. So they're stale. Burger, shake, and fries is 2,300 calories. And the salmon is the only heart-healthy option of the three. Does that make a decision? Does that make a difference? To some of you, you're saying, ooh, I didn't know that. Why didn't you tell me that before? So we let them make it, change their decision, change their mind. And then we add one more thing, one more qualitative example. Let's say the first one, the, the club sandwich is built by or is the store. It's a local startup that you, uh, you want to support your local uh, businesses. The second one is some large multinational evil conglomerate. And the third one is a, a friend of yours that owns a sustainable store that was designed by you or you had a hand in or you got to you built part of it or something and you have a personal connection with the owner. Does that affect your decision? Some of you it did. So the point of this exercise, one of the things that's great about this exercise is that people realize how much they just ping pong <laughs> on on a simple decision about it, it's just a freaking sandwich, right? <laughs> uh, and and yet, so so what was your? I mean, Jeff, you just did this live. What did you think? I went ping ponging. I I started with the salmon. I went back to the club because I'm like, well, I kind of like club sandwiches anyway. But then quickly I realized I know what he's gonna do here. But then you nailed me with the sustainable. So I ended up back at the, at the salmon salad because, well, I'm connected to that. That means something to me. And man, I, I'm stealing that. That's such a great way to break down. I can just imagine, Kurt, when you do this live, 
the bars of the pole just bing bong, bing yep. bong. Yep. And that's the moment that we have to connect people with that there is so much that goes into a decision that has to be transparent in order for us not to do what you're talking about. Because I think if you had given me all of that at the end, I would have ended up somewhere and stuck with it and been happy with it. But I think throughout the time you said it, I was like, hey, man, come on. I didn't know. I didn't want that club to be stale. <laughs> right. You know, and then you threw the heart healthy at me. I'm like, ah, dang it. So, yeah, I feel you. I, I, I think it's very impactful to understand that you can break down your lunch decision, can mimic a good process about understanding your lunch decision, can actually help you understand project decisions and the way that those things can be gone about better. And what a better way. I mean, you're talking about lean here, right? What a better way than to start maybe some of those early meetings with exactly that. Hey, we're going to have lunch and go through this exact piece. I mean, anybody can copy this from you. Please give Kurt mm -hmm. credit for it, by the way. Like when you're at the end, go, Hey, I heard this on the disjointed podcast with Kurt Newbeck and Kurt does this. Um, because all of a sudden you can use that one little piece to say, listen, guys, and girls and everybody involved here, people, we're going to make better decisions informed and transparent. And we're going to treat this little lunch as a way to learn and drive the process that we want to create for the rest of this project, because then our team becomes aligned. And that alignment is, is the, for me, it's the key component. It's knowing that I can trust that I've been given absolutely everything that people know at that point, right? We can't know everything. It's just not going to happen. And, and things are going to arise. But what happens in a bad culture of decision-making when things arise? I think there's finger pointing. Right. Very good summary, Jeff. It's exciting for me just to hear your reaction to it because that, that's what we see and that's the kind of reaction we get from, from project teams that when we do this exercise and they, they get the light bulb really goes off then. And the big aha, the summary, I mean, if I had to summarize this whole thing, how do you get decisions that stick in one slide? It's give people all the information they're going to need the first time. And that means you have to understand all the information they're going to need. Uh, but if you can do a little bit more work up front, then you're going to much, much more likely to get that decision that will stick. Well, and there's kind of a corollary and don't, give them information they don't need because sometimes people just, oh, well, here you go. Here's my 500 page report. That's not dis actionable. You can't make a decision based on that. Uh, so uh, to, to recap, the recap, the key points, what information do we need to make a decision? Generally, people are looking for, imagine, again, so many decisions, we, we act this way. There's a few that are have a slightly different process, which we could talk about later if you like, but uh, most of the decisions we, we want to ask any decision maker wants to know, all right, what am, what are we trying to accomplish? What's the goal or another, what's the question I'm being asked to decide? So we have to make it clear. What, what, what is that question? The second is people want to know what are my options? What are the alternatives that are available? Again, you go to a restaurant, someone says, uh, you want fries with that? Well, what are my other options? <laughs> 
You, you know, simple things. You just want to know what are my options, and you pick one. Then you can pick one. But if you find out later, oh, I didn't know they I could get onion rings. <laughs> oh, I would have had onion rings if I'd known. Hey, if you'd have offered a, if a salad with that shake of fries, maybe I could have brought down the heart healthy, <laughs> brought up the heart healthy, and then I'd have been happier about my burger. Right, right. <laughs> so, and and then the third one is they they will then look to in their mentally they'll try to decide which of those options best answers the question or fits the criteria that we've established. And so it's you can summarize that as we're looking for what are the pros and cons or risk rewards or cost benefits of each option. Uh, and again, this is whether you're trying to decide, you know, we're, we're designing a building, here's option A, B, and C, or even if they're picking a contractor and they're reviewing the proposals, they get a stack of proposals and they're going to, they, they're looking for these same kinds of questions, which of, which of these contractors best, best fits what we're looking for, do they have the right experience? They, you know, they have their little table of criteria. Uh, some of those criteria may be uh, binary, you know, yes or no. They either have this or they don't, or they don't have enough experience, so they kick those out. That's very often people make decisions by first eliminating the easiest options. Mm. And then you're left with the ones that we have to decide. So the first thing most people do is they ask, do, which of these meet does it do each of these options meet the basic function or the meet the needs the fundamental so again let's say we're designing a hundred bed hospital again I do mostly healthcare so I'll use, <laughs> use a lot of healthcare it's examples. all right but, or let's use a 500 student elementary school they say all right well this on this option we fit all 500 this option we fit all 500 but this lower spread out scheme we only fit 300 students well, that, but the question is, five. we need 500 students, so you can eliminate the third one because uh, it doesn't even meet the need. So usually, again, I suggest to people, when you're presenting options, make sure they all meet the basic needs. Otherwise, because they're just going to get kicked off anyway, it's not really an option. Um, the second one is, and not always, not always in this order, well, let's say very often the next decision is about budget and schedule. They want to know, you know, are if these are all equally, roughly in the same budget, okay, then they stay on. Or again, if there's dramatically higher, it will get kicked out because you want to keep it down to the ones that that seem to be the best for, uh, again, budget and schedule. And then there's another one that has to do with image, and it, certainly architecturally, there's the aesthetics part of, you know, I like this one better, or I like this material. But there's also image applies to a lot of things, the decision we make. When you, uh, when I bought my last car, I told my wife, I'm, uh, I'm thinking about buying this car. And <laughs> my wife and, and, and son said, oh, no, Dad, this is the car you should drive. <laughs> this is the car you should drive. I said, no, no, that's too, like, you need a more professional. There's this image. I mean, even just, you know, the, the clothes we wear, the shoes, we, whether we polish our shoes, the way we set up our house, we establish it with our image decisions that we may not realize how much that affects simple decisions, certainly big decisions. And, you know, for a facility or an owner, the image in the community, uh, things like that, those are very, very important. And they're often not stated. No, and I'll draw that to you because you've hit on a couple of points. But in that one in general, um, especially given your experience in healthcare, there's been a transformation since when we used to build these back in the day till now in understanding what the aesthetic does to the patient, to the people experiencing the environment and how it positively impacts their health and their experience that 
that, you know, walking into those old, you know, um, poor lighting, very um, dry and drab raises their anxiety levels, lessens their experience, which hurts their health overall. So that aesthetic's not just uh, an image thing at times. It's an actual impactful piece that's going to have um, that that has a real um, important piece of when you make a decision. It's like if you're going to change that aesthetic and that experience is going to change, we can't do that. Right. And it might mean that, hey, listen, here's where we are. Like you said, before, like we said before, you know, these are the private areas. Look, I don't mind if the tile and the lockers in the in the locker room are a little ratty for, you know, are, are basic for people that are changing clothes and janitorial and and even our doctors in those those environments. I don't need super perfect tile that's, you know, the highest end tile in the shower areas for, you know, people scrubbing in. But if I'm talking about a family in the room that's experiencing cancer treatment, I need lighting. I need natural environments. I need things that soothe them. So you've really run that that there's far more for folks to to understand and weigh in than just cost, budget, schedule, you know, those classic things that we're so just absolutely focused on. I mean, that's what um Sala and the team from Microsoft, and that's what Ryan, you know, was talking about earlier in our episodes is they're looking at the future environments that people are going to inhabit, and they're looking at them very differently. So we as decision makers and we as builders and built environment folks, architects, engineers, general contractors, trade contractors, we have to take that into consideration. And if we don't inform them, if we don't understand it, they aren't going to be able to make a really good decision. Right. So to recap those points that uh, there's a book called Problem Seeking. It was written first first edition. It was in 1969 uh, by an architect about architectural programming. Still still published fifth edition. And they they talked about the key criteria are function, form, economy and time. And 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 those are really what we just ran over. Mm -hmm. Those are I do find those are the primary decisions that usually people use in making decisions, especially around facilities. But again, about everything. If you if you want a a, a, if you're trying to buy a car and you want to make sure it holds at least five people, well, you can kick out the ones that only fit four, right? (laughs) You uh, you don't even going to worry about whether it's high performance or not. If it doesn't meet your bait, your first fundamental criteria, you got to look at that first. Uh, and I so, and I, I like that because, you know, one of the things that we have here in construction and it was just, you know, it was released right before the season with Rick Kahn was this analysis paralysis that the industry experiences. And that's a really bad thing because we just don't have enough time in the construction continuum to get things built at the schedules and 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 the needs that we have, especially in the hospital world. Right. We just can't build them fast enough. We can't make enough beds fast enough at the current moment. So eliminating that fluff that you're talking about and really knowing as a team, as an owner, if that's who you are, whoever you are in that position, if you know that the criteria and the options that are brought to you fit a basic set of criteria, like you said, I have five people to put in the car. If you guys keep bringing me four people, cars with fit four, I'm not going to trust you. Exactly. So I've got to increase the trust by knowing that, listen, I'm going to bring you only the options that fit the parameters that we've discussed. And these all work for you. 
I'm going to give you the pluses and minuses. You put them through your lens because I can't. And then you can give me an informed decision back that if I'm hearing this right, it's going to stick. Very well said. Uh, and then just a couple other points to tack onto that is function form economy time. Usually just looking at those or very often that's enough to find a winner depending on the number of options. But sometimes you get through those and they, they all meet the right criteria. They're all about the right cost and schedule. And, and as far as the image, the aesthetics, let's say the materiality is about the same and there is not one clear winner. Well, then we go into the, a, a couple other much more qualitative, just like we did with the sandwich example. Uh, that then you might say, well, which of these gives us better long-term upside or downtime, upside or downside risk, or greater flexibility, or this phase is better in the long term? Uh, often, if you just think about the longer-term implications, one of them becomes a winner or a loser. And then finally. There's a whole other category of just value judgments, and these are going to be very specific to the situation, but people will ask something like, is one of them more fair or ethical or moral, or is one of them more sustainable, or will one of them be more politically acceptable, uh, or are there hidden agendas that we think the decision makers might have? And that politically acceptable, if you're working on a project that has political funding or I mean public funding, for example, you have to be very sensitive to that. That might be much, much higher on the list uh, if you know that you have to get through the local politics or what, whatever the, the uh, scale of politics applies to the project you're working on. So that, that's another example of categories that decision makers have in their head when they're trying to, when they're trying to decide. They may not tell you that. But the, you need to be much, that's why teams who are presenting need to be aware of what are the other factors that maybe they haven't even told me. And it's better to address them and tell them these are the pros and cons as we understand them. Well, you talk about um, a lot of things there. And one of the things that goes to me is, you know, competition and, you know, the ability for companies to raise themselves up and be the, the team of choice, no matter which vertical you're in, has a lot to do with understanding those changing needs. I know you mentioned it, but, you know, the, again, the team at Microsoft and, and Gafcon talked about the ESG scores, which for those that don't know is the environmental, social and governance scores, which are really transforming and making the, the decisions that we have to make in construction and building and public projects but also in private projects as well, as we think about being uh, more socially aware, becomes a new level of scoring. And it it complicates decisions and it makes them uh, driven through different lenses. So you've really done a great job because those companies that can embrace what you're talking about and that can um, be better you know, stewards of decision making can also be farther, far more competitive in the environment we're headed into and win more work along the way, which is truly what then drives great businesses. And, you know, then maybe that salmon salad, because those are my friends, but I give them enough business that they can get an economy of scale and drop the price a little bit. And then, you know, now instead of a $22 salad, maybe 18 and I'm, and I'm happy. I don't know. I'm, I'm going back and kidding you there. I want to wrap this up a little bit because we're getting near the end here. I'm going to give you a chance to say a few things, but I want to, I want to kind of give you back what I've heard from this is that, you know, with true transparency and a totality of the information they need without the fluff, empathy, collaboration, it really is going to drive trust 
which allows these teams to make decisions that stick. But then also in this crazy environment of building, when things change, instead of drawing swords, we can fall back on that trust, make decisions in the moment, like the patient falling over, because we're equipped to handle the complicated nature of what we do. This is not easy. You must apply good practice to this. You must take your teams back and learn. Kurt, what did I miss there? What else would you want to tell everybody before we let them go? Well, great summary, Jeff. The, well, just to, to building on that a, a little bit, the, that certainly all this applies to, to what you're saying, uh, whether teams are uh, pursuing new work or even if you're on a team and you're asked to do it, let's, how are we going to choose whether the structural system should be precast or pre, or prefab or tilt wall or whatever, or which mechanical should we use? Uh, you know, how many pipe system or blah blah blah. All those. And then sometimes people just do an A3. It's like, well, here's option A, B, and C. It's like, just pick one. It's like, but you got to think through what what will the decision maker need? They want to know things like what's the long term cost implication? What's the maintainability? Uh, what what happens? It, just think through if you were the owner or or use the filter we were just talking about, have I covered function, form, economy, time, qualitative aspects, uh, long-term flexibility, maintainability. If you address those, the, the people who have been through like choosing by advantages or any similar kind of a scoring system, you, you might even weight those. You might decide which of these factors is more important. But if you have all the factors included from the beginning, you're much more likely to be able to get a decision that stick. Just like we did with the sandwich. If you find out later that, oh, it turns out, you know, it's already under construction and someone says, oh, you can't get parts for that? Or, oh, that's last year's model? Or, you know, or, or we didn't leave enough room for maintainability, then those are problems. <laughs> but if we knew about those ahead of time and identified them, then either it was known and, and we already decided we're going to go with it, or we would have made a dis different decision. So that's, that kind of ties all that up. I think it's great, well, Kurt. I think that's the great way to put the bow on it because all of that leads to predictability and we need predictability when it comes to our projects and good decisions, predictable outcomes based on great information and based on a good process like you're talking about. That's going to drive the whole cost and waste down in the industry. And, you know, waste comes across in a lot of different ways, but going back and forth in decisions because you don't have all those things you talked about. That's waste in and of itself. So we can cut some fat there. Um, and for everybody listening in at home, when you pull into the drive-thru or when you stop at your next restaurant, you're going to think through that decision and you might ask a few more questions. And you can thank Kurt for those questions. Kurt, tell everybody where they can find you um, if they want to follow up and stay connected to what you're doing. I know I'm going to be. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. So uh, again, I'm an architect with Page or pagethink.com or Kay Newback. I'm sure it'll be in the show notes. Uh, for my email address, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, and the blog post that Jeff mentioned. This this presentation we just talked about, this getting decisions at stick, is something I've presentation I've given many times for the years over the years to big audiences all around the country, uh, and then it became a blog post on LeanIPD.com, thanks to James Pease, who curates that. Uh, and, uh, and then I'm hoping to, you know, see where else it goes and, and just keep spreading that. Cause it's of all the presentations I've given, there's something about this that really caught people. And so I need to make sure I'm spreading this because it 
seems to be helping. So, Hey, that's why we wanted to bring you uh, on the podcast here at this joint, because as soon as I read it, Kurt, and as soon as we had our first meeting and talked, I knew this was the kind of information that the industry needs. And um, it's fundamental. It's blocking and tackling, but in a new way. So uh, if you're listening in and you're looking for a great speaker to come out and teach and really spread more, look up Kurt. Go to disjointed.fm. The show notes will be there. How to get in touch with uh, Kurt will be there. And I want to thank everyone for tuning in to this episode of Disjointed. Remember to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. To learn more about Disjointed or read the show notes, just stop by disjointed.fm. This show is brought to you by Join, the decision-making platform for the built environment. Learn more at join.build.